Amen. So tonight, what we're going to be doing is studying in Matthew chapter number 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be beginning a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is obviously uh, one of the Lord Jesus's two most famous sermons. The other one is the Olivet Discourse, which we find in another portion of Matthew, which is chapter 24-25. But and that one is dealing with the end times. This one is dealing with a Christian life. And so we're going to be getting into the Sermon on the Mount tonight, beginning in Matthew chapter number five. But before we do that, I want to share with you one of the reasons why I think that this is important. Um, how many of you have ever heard somebody say you should live like Jesus lives or what would Jesus do? How many of y'all remember those bracelets, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Well, one of the things about what would Jesus do is you need to know, first off, which Jesus we're talking about. Is it the Christian Jesus or the Mormon Jesus or the Jehovah's Witness Jesus or the Word of Faith Jesus? Which Jesus are we talking about? And, and you got to know the Word of God. So you know what he would do in situations, amen? Because it really doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't matter what you think. No offense. It matters what the Bible says because the Bible is God's revelation to us about who he is. It's kind of, you know, hard for us to tell God how he should be. And he's the one that tells us who he is, amen? And so one of the things that I wanted to share with you is, you know, if you've ever heard that thought, um, you remember this uh, verse that Paul said, uh, be followers of me even as I am of Christ? Be followers of me as I am of Christ. And we often quote it, you know, and Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Well, in order for us, to, so we don't obviously have Paul in front of us. He's not our, he's not here like he was for them. So we have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit to rely on, and we're going to look at what basically is Christian virtue or the way a Christian should live. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount is very important because whenever Jesus preached this message, it basically blew people away. There's been books and books and books written about this very topic, these sermons, almost every famous preacher has written a book about the Sermon on the Mount. Why is it so important? Because it, it, it gives us a, an, an indication of what Jesus believes our life should reflect. So whenever you see somebody say, you need to walk in the Spirit, you need to walk in the Spirit, right? This shows you how. This shows you how to do that. This shows you how to be a Christian, how a Christian should live. Um, this is the, whenever you talk about God's moving in my life, is he moving you in this direction or is he moving you in something else, something weird? So this kind of gives you a, a, a black and white roadmap about how our lives should be. Um, all throughout the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, so many powerful lessons and teachings in here. Some of them that I've heard stick with me like gravy to this day. I've heard some of the best messages I've ever heard um, out of Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is just unbelievably good. Um, but we're going to go ahead and, and begin in Matthew chapter number 5. So again, this is, you know, um, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus preached. Um, and it, we're going to begin in verse number 1. It says, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain when he was set his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we get into this, that's verse number three. As we get into these, these are what we call the Beatitudes, the, the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. And it runs all the way through uh, verse number 11. So let's, we'll just read this section. Uh, so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we're going to stop right there. That that. That section that we just grabbed a hold of is called the Beatitudes, and there's so many powerful sections of it. We're going to begin in this very first verse, which is verse number three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So first off and foremost, let me just start out with this. Blessed. Blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessing is God's favor. Blessing is is whenever God bestows of his goodness to you. Blessing is whenever God is showing his love upon you. And some, you know, you might say his light is shining on me. He's smiling on me. It's God's blessing. God's blessing is, is not about temporal things. It's not about worldly things. The most blessed person could be the most despised in the world. Whenever you look at somebody and you say that they're blessed, don't look at it through the lens of temporal things or the world because anything in this world that's been given can be taken. But anything that's given to you spiritually is yours. See, spiritual things and carnal things are so different. You say, oh, I'm blessed. I have a new car. Guess what? Tomorrow your car's not new anymore. It's already started depreciating. So does that mean you're not blessed tomorrow? Because if your blessing is dependent on temporal worldly things, right? Oh, I have a large family. You know what? Everybody might die tonight. I hate to be morbid, but you know what? We can't look at our worldly things as our blessing because blessing is God's favor on us. God's favor does not always equal temporal things. Again, the most blessed person in the world could be looked upon as the most despised in the world. You could be sitting in a jail cell on some island by yourself, sitting with some rats, not having nothing to eat, and be blessed. If you don't think so, you need to reread Paul. You need to reread his life. And we're going to get there in a little while, but he learned, he learned how, to, how to have when he had not. That's God's blessing. It goes over and above what this world is and has. It comes from the throne of God, and it defies the things that we see. It's greater than. But what do we see in the church world? 
bless me, bless me, bless me. I want a new car. I want a big family. I want a new home. I want a this. I want this. I want that. Blessing, right? We live in a bless me generation. We live in a bless me generation. Everybody wants to be blessed. But if you notice what Jesus says in these, these beatitudes, there's conditions for blessing. You can't just live any which way you want and be blessed, obviously, or Jesus wouldn't have wasted his precious breath, his precious and holy breath. So one of the things that I want to just share with you real quick is everybody wants to be blessed, but not everybody wants to pay the price for the blessing. If we, if we think that we can just live and do any which way we want to live and do and walk in God's blessing, we're sorely mistaken. Jesus said, in, in, you know, through Paul in Galatians 5, that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the what? Lust of the flesh. Because the, the flesh and the Spirit are at war with one another. They're at enmity with one another. So you cannot have one and the other. We've got to make the choice. But what do we see in the world today? We want to have a 50-50 split, the flesh and the spirit. But those things are at war. And if, if we're going to war in the spirit, I'm, I'm really kind of pairing this up because last week we talked about walking in the spirit, how to walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is so important to our lives, but yet not everybody's willing to do, right, what it takes to receive those blessings. So, first off, <coughs> these are attitudes of the heart that result in actions. Attitudes of the heart that result in actions. So, you know, somebody said, you know, like, we don't work for our salvation. We believe for our salvation. We do. But if you properly believe, it will filter into your life, right? It's not just head knowledge. That means you didn't get it. Head knowledge doesn't do the devil has more head knowledge about Jesus than you he has more perfect theology than you he's already seen what the throne looks like he knows what the seraphim and cherubim song is he knows all the beautiful colors of heaven he knows the streets of gold he knows all that but yet there's no change there's no soul transition and that comes when we believe on Jesus properly and it changes us not by our effort but by the spirit of God at work in us allowing God to change us allowing God to do all that he desires in us allowing God to do I'll say it like this allowing God to give us attitude corrections right how many of y'all know what that's like Whenever you say something and the Lord says, you really think you should have said that? Right? How many of y'all, you really think you should have done that? And then you sheepishly have to go to somebody and say, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said that, and I'm sorry. Well, that's, that's the mark of God doing a work in you. That means that God's at work in your life and that you're obedient. See, the thing about Christianity is not that you're going to be perfect. It's are you going to be obedient? So whenever you, whenever the Lord is, whenever the Lord is convicting you on those things, are you willing to step in faith and follow through with those things? Amen. Because what good does it do for the Holy Spirit to convict you about telling somebody you're sorry for something, but then you don't do it? All right. Okay. So 
this first one that we're looking at with the bless me generation all around us. Amen. Bless me, bless me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me grab hold of one thing before we just kind of get into it. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, the, the, you can get into a teaching on the differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. One of the things that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God is that uh, whenever the Pharisees were talking about that, he said the kingdom of God is near you, it's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. But the kingdom of heaven is a little bit different. The kingdom of heaven is, is the reign of Jesus. Whenever Jesus sets up for the millennial reign and, and all nations are going to come to Jerusalem and bow down and worship him, that's the kingdom of heaven established on earth. That's not in you. That'll be around you. So there's, you know, just that thing there. The kingdom of heaven means when you're poor in spirit, you're going to be at work and a part of that kingdom that Jesus is establishing. In other words, in other words, what God's doing in the world, he's starting with those that are poor in spirit. He's starting with those that are poor in spirit. This is one of the first conditions. This is one of the first conditions, first verse of the Beatitudes, but it's one of the first conditions that God looks for in working in someone's life. Poor in spirit. Now, let's break that down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is talking about not being poor financially. Some churches teach that it's better to be poor than to be rich, right? Well, it's, it's better to have God in your heart either way. Our happiness should not be dictated upon our wealth or our poverty. But this is not talking about financial. This, is, this has nothing to do with financial gain or loss. This is talking about the attitude of the heart. So what we're looking at, a poor spirit is someone who basically is humble. Someone with a humble heart. Someone who lives in humility. If one word could describe the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, it would be his humiliation. His humiliation. If you don't think so, if you don't think so, you need to rethink on the cross is often termed, his first advent is often termed the incarnation or his humiliation. That's because he humbled himself. He became a man, right? How many of y'all know he's God in heaven? And he became a man. He, he laid aside some of his glory so that he could become a man. That's whenever he came in Mary. And then he allowed himself to suffer, to hunger, to thirst, to hurt, to cry. He allowed himself to identify with our pain and our suffering. We, we can't say God doesn't know what it's like. He does know what it's like because he, he inhabited flesh. He took on flesh and he cried with us. He wept with us. He hungered with us. He, he, he starved with us. He identified with our pain and our suffering. And on the cross, he was abused. He was crucified. He was spat upon. He was looked down on. He was cursed. He was reviled. He, the Bible says he was stricken. He was smitten. He was marred beyond any human that's ever been marred. The, the, the cross is so powerfully true when, when you see what he went through. The, the God of glory... 
Think back on the transfiguration. He revealed how beautiful he was to, to Peter and John. And he revealed how beautiful he was. And they were ready to build new temples, right? This is God in the flesh. We've seen his glory. And then he allows himself to go to the cross for our sin. I heard a, a minister say that once, they, once a, a, a guy put himself, once he was crucified, once he was put on the cross and those nails went in his hands, that he lost all rights. He was no longer a human. Just if you think about Nazi Germany, how they treated Jews, right? They treated Jews as non-human. And they had, a, they had a, a rule that once somebody went on the cross and their hand was nailed, they were not human anymore. You could do anything you wanted to to them. You could just take a, a, a bat and bash their legs in just to break them, just to watch them be in pain. And you could do anything, spit on them, cut them, whatever. And people did that just to do it. And he said that there was uh, vultures, these birds in, in, in that area that, you know, whenever their feathers were tucked in, you didn't see how big they were, but when they flew, this long neck would just stretch out. And he said those buzzards would stand on top of those crosses while there were bodies on them. And they would reach down and pluck out eyeballs and lips and just pick them apart, slowly pick them apart. And, 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 and that is, and, and that's not, that's, that's, you know, not the point of the cross. I mean, he went through all that, but the humiliation is that infinite, holy God became man. And then he bore our sin on the cross. That's the part, that's the part that should grasp our heart many people were crucified many people were crucified but only one was crucified innocently only one was crucified for your sin and my sin only one was crucified that the wrath of God would be satisfied you see it, it couldn't be just a man that would never satisfy the wrath of a holy God it had to be God himself a holy a holy God in the flesh would be the only one that could absorb his wrath and that he did but we see his humiliation and so this humiliation we identify with and he says blessed are the poor in spirit so the, this first step in 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 this blessing and in, in these beatitudes is this poor spirit and if you think about the the first advent of Jesus I'm just kind of comparing those things to this blessing that he's talking about Think about the first advent of Jesus. He did not walk around expecting people to roll out the red carpet. He, did, he wasn't born in a mansion. He was born in a manger. He didn't expect to be treated above everybody else. In fact, he came, he said, not to be served, but to serve. He didn't come, you know, to be ministered to. He came to minister to others. He came to give his life as a ransom for ours. And, and in doing so, he establishes for us what it's like to be Christ-like. It is to lay your life down for others. That's what it is to be Christ-like. And in every day and in every way, we should be willingly laying our lives down for others. Now, you may not throw yourself over the railroad tracks and let the train run over you. For, but laying yourself down for others means putting your reputation aside putting what the world thinks about you to the side. Amen? 
putting away worldly cares and worldly desires. Who cares what they think about me? Putting that away, laying yourself down for others. Anybody that's ever stood up to preach or teach or pray for somebody or go do something in the name of Jesus, you've had to put yourself to the side to do it. You have to put, you know, your reputation because the world laughs at Christians. The world laughs and mocks Christianity. It, it, how else could it be except the world laughed and mocked at Christ? And if we're Christians, the world should be laughing and mocking at us. If we're truly walking in his steps, he said, you, you know, if you come after me, take up your cross daily and come after me. Right. If you want to be my disciple. And he said that you will suffer if you come after me. That's part of it. But you see, in our world, in our, our day, we do anything and everything to avoid suffering for Christ. But we can't get around this blessed are the poor in spirit. These are those that have laid aside their reputation, laid aside what the world thinks, and have come to God humbly, humbly. So the poor in spirit here is talking about that I'm not, in other words, haughty in spirit. Now, how many of y'all, if you've ever, you know, grown up around somebody teaching you manners? Y'all, I remember, you know, don't be haughty, right? A haughty person is someone who's prideful. As someone who, who esteems themselves above others. This is not Christian. A, a, a haughty spirit, I often describe it this way, someone whose nose is up in the air, and if it rains, they're going to get water in their nose. You know what I'm talking about? Someone that thinks they're better than. This is a haughty spirit. A haughty spirit is a huffer and a puffer. A huffer and a puffer. This is not Christianity. Christianity is the, the poor in spirit. So this is the, the coming down. In other words, thinking better of others than myself. Putting others first, caring for their needs first. Is that not what Jesus did? Is that not what he did? So when we're talking about the poor in spirit, we're talking about humility, walking in humility. Here's one of the, here's one of the main purposes for this, being poor in the spirit. It, it realizes its spiritual need and condition. You see, if you don't think that you need Jesus, you won't walk in humility. If you think you got it all, then you don't need any help. You see, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he once said that, you know, he wished that preachers would preach judgment for about two years and then preach the Savior. Because you need to know that you're sick and dying and going to hell before you cry out, I need saved. And so one of the problems that we see in preaching today is it's all, it's all cherries on top. But nobody ever shows you the problem. If you talk to somebody and say, hey, Jesus saves, they, they'll say, I don't need saved. Saved from what? Right? Well, what do, why do they think they need saved? Because we never preach hell. We never preach judgment. We never preach that you must be born again, you know. You get in trouble when you preach things like that. But what do we need saved from? So that's one of the problems that we see in the church world. But this first condition about being poor in the Spirit is a realization that I need a Savior. And if I know I need a Savior, I'm going to come to him on his terms, not mine. I'm not going to well, I think this is I think this and I think it should be like that and I'm not going to do that because I that's someone who doesn't realize 
they need saved. That's someone who is establishing their own kingdom, not surrendering and submitting to God's, right? And so this first beatitude in, in, in Matthew 5, we see the poor in spirit. This is the very first one that Jesus, and, and don't, don't think that Jesus was like just drawing sticks and he just picked one first. He never does that. First, it, it, the fruit of the spirit, right? Love. John Wesley, he so beautifully said, you know, that love flows, through love flows all the rest of them. And once you see this beatitude, this way of Christianity, you see that this humility, this humbleness of heart, it kickstarts everything else. Because somebody who's not humble is not going to see God at work in their life. It takes us getting to a place where we see our, listen to this, spiritual poverty. Once we see our spiritual poverty, we run to the only one who can help us. We won't go there until we realize we're in need. If you've ever preached or taught a class or anything like that, you'll notice that generally, uh, you know, most of the time you're going to see some people that don't think they need to hear it and other people that do. What is that? That's, there's humility, right, at work, and then there's others that aren't. There's some that not maybe all the way haughty, but a, maybe a haughty spirit about them, maybe even just for that night. But one of the things that we've got to do is realize, and this, this will help you even in your daily walk with God. When you open up the Word of God, when you pray, get back to that place where you're, where you're walking in humility. When you open up the Bible and say, God, I need you. I need you. When you go to church, say, God, I need a fresh touch from you. I need to be edified. I need to be stirred up. I, 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 need, I need you. When you pray, pray because you need God, right? This gets you in that place where you're walking in humility because you need a Savior. And a great Savior he is. A great Savior he is. But never forget, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the who? To the humble. To the humble. To those that are poor in spirit. If you look at the life of Jesus, and, and, and people would have you think otherwise today. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he always put his hand up to those that were prideful and thought they were the best thing since sliced bread. But those that were the broken the, the, the deaf, the blind, the maimed, the leper, the prostitute, the thief, those that were the scum of the earth in the world's eyes, they came to him broken, contrite, and he received them, and he gave them grace, and he changed them. But those Pharisees and everybody else that came to him in a prideful manner never received his grace until they became humble till they became humble you see this in the life of nicodemus nicodemus whenever if you are familiar john chapter 3 or john 3:16 if you've ever watched football you know that one right john 3:16 was real popular in the 80s and, and, and for good measure it's one of the best verses in the bible um, but john 3:16 it was a conversation between jesus and nicodemus a ruler of, of, of the jews and, and, and the beautiful part of it is here, he's not understanding, but you see this humility about him, right? 
He's not saying, well, you can't tell me anything. I'm a ruler. Now he's actually engaged in asking questions. Well, how can this be? And then you see at the end of Christ's uh, life at the crucifixion, who's there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Why was he different than everyone else? It wasn't because he was smarter. It's because he allowed himself to be humble. And once he became poor in spirit, God blessed him. God opened his eyes. God gave him a savior when he realized he needed one. See, until we get to that point where we realize we need one, why? we don't need one. But once we realize we need one, that's why he said, you know, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come. I didn't come for those that were whole. I came for those that were sick. When you don't think, when you don't think that you're a sinner, there's nothing he can do for you. But once you realize you're a sinner, he can change your life. He can change your destiny. He can change your future. He can change whole families. He can change that indelible mark that you leave in the life of others. But it all is predicated by a willingness to be humble, to become poor in spirit. Now, this is a, a beautiful passage. I want to get to a couple of verses um, just to kind of get into this. But w- one of the most important things we can do is know that we're sinful and know that we need a Savior. Know that we're sinful and know that we need a Savior. A, a, a poor spirit is, is what's necessary. I want to show you a verse in Isaiah 66. So that's going to be the last chapter of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 66 And we're going to use verse number two. So Isaiah 66, verse number two is what we're going to read from. Now, there's many passages like this in Isaiah. This one we're going to use. But I want to show you that this is not, whenever Jesus preached this, it wasn't that he preached something new. It's that he brought a complete revelation to others. He spoke it in clarity to those that were willing to hear. But God's always been this way. If you think about Cain and Abel, you know, one of the things about it is, is, you know, God required a sacrifice. God required a sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, and he required it to be done the way he said it needed to be done, didn't he? And one of the things that you see is that Abel did it and Cain didn't. And even though Cain messed up, God went to Cain and said, you need to change it. He tried to break through, but Cain had this, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it about him. Right? And you know, once you have that kind of an attitude, you become spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. And you'll do things that you know you shouldn't do. But I I want you to see, but... Even from the Garden of Eden, God's been this way. This is what God needs. And even when you mess up, God still pleads and says, change. Come come the way that I declared. This poor in spirit way, this humility saying, you know what? I messed up. I messed up, and I'm ready to do it your way, God. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I don't have it all together, Lord. I need you. I need you. This, 
When you get to that place where you say, Lord, I need you, you're beginning to get on that road to being poor in spirit. Just by simply saying, Lord, I need you. Now, I'm not, now, I'm, I'm not one of those, believe me, if y'all know me, y'all know this. Don't just quote something like that. It's not, it's, it's when you know that you need God. Once you get into that heart condition where you need God, not words, right? Not words because, you know, even the devil uh, quotes God's word. So it's not, we're not just looking for words. We're looking for a condition of the heart. God, I need you. Because anybody can say they need God, but it's when we know that we need him that matters. And that's what God, and, and God knows you know, everybody in this whole room could all say at the same time, Lord, I need you. And God knows the ones that are being real. We don't, but God does. Amen. And so, the, like I said, though, that the, the first part of it is knowing our sinful condition and knowing that we need a Savior it is this. And I'm not just talking about salvation. Knowing you need a Savior, you need a Savior daily. I'm not saying you get saved every day. You need Jesus every day. You need to come to him humbly every day and say, God, I need you. Why else did Paul write? Don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the spirit. Well, too many of us have not gone to God and asked him to fill us again, right? Don't, how many of us would, you know, drink a Coke one time? Well, I mean, a cook doesn't really quench your thirst, but how many of you would drink a bottle of water once? Oh, yeah, I drank water one time when I was five. No, we continually go back as we're thirsty, and that's how it is with our Savior. We continually go back, and he fills us again. But if we don't go back in that humble spirit again, if we don't go back poor in spirit again, there's nothing to fill because we're filled with hot air. So that's one of the problems that we see in modern Christianity is, you know, you got people full of themselves, full of a haughty spirit, full of hot air, walking around thinking, right, or saying anything. But God looks for those that are poor in spirit. In other words, those that are in spiritual poverty. God, I don't have anything unless I have you. God, I don't have anything unless I have you in my life. I don't care who likes me, God. I need you to like me. I don't care who loves me, God. I need your love, right? I don't care who smiles on me, God. I need your smile. What good does it do to be the apple of somebody else's eye in this life? They're perishing. How beautiful is it, though, to know that you're the apple of God's eye? Okay. So Isaiah 66, verse number two, it says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look. Now this is when God when this is a good reference to God looking on you. How many of you love the fact Jesus taught about the sparrow, right? His eyes on the sparrow? And I know he's watching over me. How many of y'all remember that song? It's good to know God's watching you. And look at this. Look at this. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor 
and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Someone who's poor is not talking about financially. He's talking about humility. A poor and a contrite spirit is someone who knows they need God, right? Someone who knows they need God, and what's the other part? Trembles at his word. Lord, I need you to speak into my life. I need you, God. I need to know that you love me. I need to know these things about eternity. I need to know, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I need to know where my loved one is. You know, I need to know these things. I need to know you. I need to know, you know, your grace. I need to know your mercy. I need to know that you've forgiven me. I need to know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I need that witness, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you know, trembles at his word. God, I need you. What good does it, what, you know, if somebody likes your post on Facebook or writes you a letter in the mail or sends you a birthday card, what good is that going to do for you in eternity? But to know God's word, to have it in your heart, and to know who God says you are changes everything. Changes everything once you know him and who he says we are. But this first step is a poor and contrite spirit so God even from the Old Testament has been telling and declaring those whom he wants and the way he says it here is those who he looks at the connotation is those that are are prideful he turns away from right isn't it amazing how how complicated people make Christianity and, and God's I mean God is infinite he is complicated, but he makes it simple. He makes it simple for us. I heard a, a minister say, I think it was Spurgeon. He said a gnat might as well go out and try to drink the whole ocean as man try to comprehend God. God's more than you think, more than you can ever imagine, right? But what he's told us is simple. Be broken. Be humble. And as we're seeing tonight, be poor in spirit. Blessed are those. Blessed. See, we all, you know, you think if you share a thing on Facebook, you're going to get God's blessing. No, I know you don't think that. But that's not how you get God's blessing. It comes through you and I living a humble life. Humble in God's eyes, right? We're not talking about just... God's not looking just for behavior. He's looking for the attitude of the heart towards him. So you know that some people can be, uh, just because somebody is lowly and humble doesn't mean they're walking with God. Amen? Some of the most humble people I know hated God. So it's not just that. It's being humble towards God. It's being humble towards God. You know, God did Jesus, I heard a minister say this, but Jesus didn't die for behavior modification. He died for soul transformation. Behavior modification, you can, you can teach a, a, a monkey or a mouse or a dog how to do anything. You teach them. You give them a treat, ring a bell, do it over and over and over. You can make any animal do anything. 
just about. Humans are no different in that regard. That's not why Jesus, Jesus didn't die to, to make you say yes ma'am, no ma'am, thank you, and, you know, push the chair in when you get up from the table. Mm-mm. No, it's because you were a sinner and had no hope of eternal life because you were born a sinner, you were destined to go to hell. But Jesus died that we might have life and life everlasting if you would just believe on him. And in order to walk in that blessing, the first step is, like we're seeing here tonight, humility, being humble in heart. So one of the things I wanted to show you is over in Proverbs chapter number 16 uh, uh, about the, the haughtiness. So Proverbs chapter number 16 this is a uh, two verses that we'll read here. We're going to start uh, with verse number 18. Proverbs 16, verse 18. So it says in verse number 18, pride goeth before destruction. How many of y'all ever seen somebody destroy their life? How many of y'all destroyed your life? <laughs> Don't want to raise your hand on that one, right? But do you realize the, do you realize the relationship between uh, pride and destruction? How many people go, I, I don't need God. I don't need to go to church. I don't need the word. In my, I don't need to, I don't need... Now, somebody might not start out saying that, but they'll get there. So we're not just talking about pride like, um, I love America. We're not talking about pride like caring about the way that you look or whatever. We're talking about pride of not needing God. That pride. That specific pride. Look at America. You, we're not talking about patriotism. We're talking about the attitude of the heart where you don't think that you need God or you, you think you're good enough, right? How many of y'all ever started working out? At some point, you had enough, right? <laughs> Most everybody I knew that ever started finished. We thought we had enough, right? I'm good. We got to that. But with God, we can never get that, to that point. I will show you what well, Jesus tells us later, but he says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Once we lose that hunger and thirst, we begin sinking. We begin going downhill quick. And it's that, it's that desperation for God that's so critical in our heart. God will use so many different ways to get us to a point where we know we need him. And once we know we need him, right, that's when we begin to cry out for the Savior. That's when we're poor in spirit. So pride goes before the destruction, and, and many of us have seen people, even ones that we loved. You might even think about someone you used to go to church with or somebody you used to know way back when that just over time just slowly got into this place where they might not have said it with those very words, but they begin to live it that they didn't need God like they once did. How many of you know, right? It's, this is a, a, a dangerous area when we think that we don't need God. Well, I don't think I don't need God. Well, 
well, do you wake up and desperately need him? Because if you don't, if you don't need him, then you don't need him. Right? So this is kind of a dangerous area here. It's kind of a warning sign that when we get into that place where uh, I'll read tomorrow, I'll pray tomorrow, uh, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. I don't need to go to church this week. I don't need to go to church this month. I'll go to church next year. You see how that progression goes. So we may not say it, but it's the attitude of the heart that God looks on. It's, it's where we are in our hearts. And once that pride, so we're not talking about how many of y'all have ever, you know, kind of looked in the mirror and made sure you didn't look too horrible before you walk out the door, right? Might, might not be all that, but it's just not too horrible, right? So that's a little bit of pride about yourself. That's okay. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. This pride is, is where you're walking without God. This was, this was what happened whenever God destroyed the, the, the world in Noah's day got into a place where they rejected God and didn't need God. And Jesus said that that's going to be the hallmark of the latter days. It's going to be the hallmark of the end times. When, when you know, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be a day when people go around thinking they don't need God. Now, they might not say it, but how do they live? A, a you know, pride spiritually i don't need that i can do this i don't need that i got this so that pride begins to rise so pride comes before destruction pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall anybody that's haughty is about to fall anybody that's haughty is about to fall now don't don't you know get all upset because everybody's got to fall sometime We've all, right, we're fallen people. So it's not that you, you don't ever fall, but when you fall, fall with grace. If you get haughty and you fall, fall on your knees and cry out to Jesus, right? So if, if, if you fall, roll with it. Oh, I'm broke down, Lord, here I am, right? Roll with it. If, if, if you end up getting into a place where I don't need God, I'm better, I'm, this, I'm that, you get haughtiness. If you've ever, you know, you've ever been around certain church folks, you know what haughtiness is, right? You've ever been around any worldly folks, you know what haughtiness is. But some of us can get haughty in and of ourselves. Better than, a better than attitude. Do you think that Jesus walked around looking upon lepers and, and, and those that were blind and those that were deaf? Do you think he walked around looking up down upon them? Did he hold his nose? Did he hold his nose? Did he weep with them? There's nothing haughty about our Savior. And there should be nothing haughty about us. The other people in this world... They might be going on the wrong track, but we're not better than them in that regard. We're not. We, we, are, we are going through a harsh world just like they are. The only difference may be we've got a Savior and they're not holding on to him. 
But the, the thing is, and I want you to see, is that anytime somebody begins to get haughty, they're going down. God's not going to be mocked, and he's not going to allow us to stay haughty. Things will happen in our lives when we think we don't need God and when we get that haughty spirit about us. Some of the worst church experiences I've had in my life were with haughty Christians. Better than. Won't identify with what you're going through. A Christian should always be able to stop and listen to a fellow believer. I mean... We've got to do that. We should be stopping and listening to the world. But at a minimum, we should be caring about what each one is going through. Truly caring. You've ever, I mean, it, it, it leaves an indelible mark on your life whenever, you, whenever you're telling someone the pain you're going through and you can see it on their face that they're feeling it. It'll leave a mark on you. It'll create a bond between you and that person. You'll know other people may say that they care, but that person, they really do care about me. It shows. That's because you were willing to not be haughty, but come down where they are, suffer with them. This is what Jesus did. Our, we can't fathom the depth of his love because we can't fathom what it cost him to identify with what we're going through, our pain. He cried knowing he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He still cried because the pain that his family was going through. We can't fathom that. That's more than we can understand to believe that God suffered because we hurt. How beautiful is our Savior? It's, it, it's, it's not like he's just sitting in a crystal box saying, when you get it all together, you can come up here. He got out of the crystal box, and he got down into the mud with us, and he loved us where we were as we were. And he gave us a new name. And he gave us a new future. And he wipes away our tears. And he restores our innocency. And he restores our soul. And he gives us a new heart. And then he gives us eternal life. Because he's a good savior. So this haughtiness has really no place in the church Haughtiness goes, you know, before the fall. But look at verse number 19. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. It's better to be humble and have nothing than to be prideful and have everything. One of the things about being humble is... Um, the saw this in a John Wesley commentary is it being humble makes you a spiritual beggar makes you a spiritual beggar right that's what it means to be humble to be humbled spiritually right to be humbled spiritually means you need God you need God 
He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That means if you're going to receive God, you've got to come on his terms. That makes you a spiritual beggar. You get what he gives. Right? One of the things about a beggar is you've got to beg. Here's something I want you to think about. If, if, if you were a beggar, think about this. Whenever, uh, whenever Peter and John went to the temple, there was a, a, a lame guy at the gate, beautiful, right? You got any money? What's he doing there asking for money? He's a beggar. He's going where beggars are supposed to go. And if we're spiritual beggars, we go where spiritual beggars are supposed to go. That's to Jesus daily, daily, that we may be filled afresh with his Holy Spirit. Daily, that we may be renewed in our mind transformed by the spirit of God in 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 but one of the things you see you know just as a side note you didn't see Peter say oh yeah I've got money a lot of people have sowed into my life a lot of people sow into my ministry he said silver and gold have I a little none but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus get up and walk gave him what he had which was God which is far better than silver and gold according to Peter but not according to modern Christianity so one of the things I want to show you though is that to to be a spiritual beggar we've got to come to where beggars go spiritually and that is to Jesus too many of us neglect this too many of us wake up have our coffee and go and then we get home and we turn on American Idol or the ball game or we read a book except for the holy book or we do whatever and all the while we are spiritual beggars but we're not going to the place where we're supposed to beg we are spiritual beggars whether we get it or not we need him whether we know it or not blessed are the poor in spirit don't ever, don't ever not be poor in spirit. Don't ever get to the place where you're not poor in spirit. That's the part where it starts getting dangerous, where you start uh, waxing cold in your love towards God. Like he said, you know, um, you're lukewarm. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. When our love wanes cold, it's a dangerous place but as long as we stay humble or poor in spirit and become as beggars and go to the place where beggars go. Well, how many of you know that, you know, if, if you're hungry, right? Even right now, if you were hungry, you didn't have anything, you can make a sign and go stand on the road. But if you didn't make a sign and go stand on the road, would anybody stop and give you McDonald's? Nope. You really have to ask somebody. What they do now is make a sign. Well, back in Jesus' day, beggars had beggars row. Places where they could go, and this is where people would give money, or like in Peter's case, healing in Jesus' name. But beggars went where they were supposed to go so they could receive what they needed. See how we're supposed to be? 
too many of us are not picking up our sign and saying, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm confused. Lord, I'm weary. Lord, I need you. This is poor in spirit. This is humbleness. It's saying, God, I need you. See how beautiful this is? It's the first beatitude, and it, 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 it runs its way throughout our whole Christian life. Once we neglect becoming poor in spirit, we start walking away from the blessings that God has for us. We're not going to receive those blessings if we're not humble in heart, poor in spirit. One of the things that I want to get to before we close out tonight is Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. Don't we have an awesome Savior? You know, this, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's, 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 uh, I love to read the Puritans. I don't know if you know, they're, they were kind of reformers. They were, but the, uh, the Puritans were, were powerful Christians, and, uh, um, but they weren't all perfect. They had areas, you know, that are not good. One of the Puritans, he wrote an awesome book about this, this scripture that I'm about to show you called A Bruised Reed. A Bruised Reed. And, and, and it's one of my favorite books that I've ever read in ministry. And it, it is, it, it shows you the, this dynamic of Jesus and his heart for us when we're broken, when we're broken. Uh, let me show you this. It's Matthew chapter number 12. In verse number 20, Matthew 12 and verse number 20, it says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. There's a lot in that. But a bruised reed is, is, is a reed that, it, 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 you know, it, if you've ever seen, you know, a reed, it's just, it stands up straight. A bruised reed is one that's been stepped on. It, 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 it's, it's broken down. It's been trampled on. And, and Jesus doesn't take his heel and just finish it off. He doesn't. He restores it. He restores it. It, this, this is so beautiful because it shows that it's, it's God's way of telling you that if you come to him bruised, the smoking flax, you know, how many of you know what it's like to be burned out? It's just another picture of that. It, it, it's when you're at the end. A bruised reed is about to be crushed and severed from the ground. I, I, I'm at my end. The world is crushing me down. A bruised reed is down. But notice, notice what it says. A bruised reed shall he not break. You know, you know one of the most famous scriptures, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are what? Weary and what? Heavy laden, and I will, I'll give you rest. 
You come to me when you're broken and I'll give you rest. You come to me when you're tired. You come to me when you're weary. You come to me when you're needful. You come to me when you're hurt and I will give you rest. I will be a harbor of rest. I will be a refuge from the storm. I will calm the raging sea. I will give you a spiritual understanding when the world doesn't make sense. I'll shelter you from the storm. That's what he's talking about when he says, I'll give you rest. I'll cover you. I'll cover you. I'll be there for you. But we've got to come to him as beggars, broken. See, a a bruised reed is the only kind of reed he'll receive. We, we, we think that when we show ourselves weak, we're going to get crushed. Well, in the world, yeah. But in the kingdom, no. In the kingdom, you don't get in unless you're bruised. And those that are bruised, he makes new. Isn't that beautiful? What a savior. A bruised reed shall he not break in a... Smoking flax shall he not quench. In other words, when you're hurt, go to him. And when you think about this spiritually, in our spirit or in our hearts, that's how we go is in a I need you manner. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, is to be in spiritual poverty or a spiritual beggar, as John Wesley said. One of the things that it shows you is that Jesus removes discouragement by encouraging you to take refuge in him. He removes discouragement by encouraging you to take refuge in his arms. You cannot be poor in spirit and not find grace in God's hands. He will find you. He will find you when you become poor in spirit. And he will mend your brokenness. He won't break you. He will make you new. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And as we looked at this first beatitude in your Sermon on the Mount, Lord, I pray that we would become more like you.